This morning we've gathered because there is a legacy that is joined. There are traditions that we embrace. But most importantly, I think, uh, I want to believe that there are truths consensually cherished by this church. And that's why we ultimately come together this day to worship. And one of the most cherished truths that we hold as believers is that our God has the power to bring life out of death. As a matter of fact, we would not be here today if it were not for that. Do you ever just get captivated with the glory of God? When's the last time you just paused to think about the glory of God and you say, well, why should that be something that captivates us? Well, it's because the Hebrew word for glory has at, it, at its root the sense of weightiness, gravity, something heavy. Uh, I sat there before I stepped up on the stage and I thought, Lord, in light of that, I probably need to crawl up here and not walk. You know, it's, it's not the preacher that you should be most impressed with. It's not an attitude that you should be most impressed with. It's not a grand entrance of a preacher. It's humility before a God that's full of absolute glory, splendor. And if you see the preacher, then you've missed the point. What we want you to see is thus saith the Lord. What does God Almighty have to say to us today? He's worthy. And so when we come together, we hold consensually some truths that are so vitally important. The music that we sang today testify of God's greatness and His glory and His mercy as the one in the Lord Jesus Christ who can only give life. And I think there ought to be a sense of something that is majestic and awesome in the practice of us coming together, not just the mundane. Oh, here we are again on Sunday morning coming together. No, we should fight against that as David did. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless the Lord. So in that regard, every single moment should be dedicated to the Lord in His service. Why? Because every moment is a holy moment. There ought to be a sense of animating hope, conjoined commitment, and a sense of excitement of what our God might do in our midst. Why? Because He's the only God that can bring life out of death. So would you not agree that we are people who need regular seasons of recommitment? It's not enough, one place and one time, to have made a commitment to God X amount of years ago. We all need regular seasons of recommitment to the Lord. And we need to continually articulate what's at stake in the lives of our churches today. The truth that we consensually cherish is at stake. And so we need to continually articulate those things. The moment we stop articulating the real issues is the moment you can mark on your calendar that you have become stagnant in your understanding of who God is. This morning, I get the privilege of preaching one of the greatest texts in all the Bible. And some of you say, well, that's Acts 17. That is a great one. But since it's Labor Day weekend, I thought I'd give you a break. And we're going to preach out of Ezekiel chapter 37. And, of course, God has spoken to my heart this week about this text of Scripture. And I think it is so relevant for our day, this moment, in the life of our culture, our nation, but most importantly, in the life of our church. We learn from this passage that 
For His glory and by His Spirit and Word, God delivers His people from death. And He brings life out of death. And He also brings unity to the people of God. Do you ever uh, feel hopeless? You ever feel hopeless about something? A situation? You ever feel hopeless about someone in regard to God having the ability to change a situation or a circumstance? Well, I've got news for you. Uh, Our God is the God who can change hopeless situations. Chapter 37 of Ezekiel. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. This is an awesome narrative. It's a bizarre narrative. And oh, but it's coming to Ezekiel, right? You guys know who Ezekiel is? If you've read your Bible, you know this character is a character, is he not? The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, Can these bones live? Son, what a statement. What a question. And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and shall know that I am the Lord. So I, this is Ezekiel, prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling. Don't you love the Bible? Don't you love the text of Scripture? First sign of life is a little rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, again, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breathe, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. So we've gone from very dry bones, no sign of life, to a standing army. Only God can do that. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Remember, that was the plight of the people and this is their response to their situation. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves And raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. You know, some texts just preach themselves, amen? Because they're great passages, and I hope that you felt the weight of the glory of God in listening to that particular passage. The angel said to Gabriel, the angel Gabriel said to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. 
Have you heard that note throughout Scripture to think about situations? Whether it was David facing Goliath with a slingshot and a stone, or making walls fall down with a horn in your hand, blowing it, and shouts, or it's being thrown into the middle of a fiery furnace and coming out of it without so much your hair being singed, and let's add to it, and your clothes didn't even smell like Bethlehem, right? You know what I'm talking about. Back to Bethlehem. You can't go out there without smelling like smoke, right? It's coming. I can smell it just a few months away. But these guys came out with not even having the scent of smell upon them whatsoever. And in Mary's case, think about this. She's going to bear the Son of God, and she's a virgin. And think about the word of the Lord. Nothing will be impossible with God. So Ezekiel 37, Israel certainly feels its hopeless situation. They admit just that in verse 11. Do you see it? Then he said to them, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. Admittedly so. How long had they been in captivity up to this point? Twelve years. And Ezekiel has preached to them for 36 some odd chapters about how if they turn to the Lord, they have hope. And so he's preached to them, but they've still lost hope. Now in reference to our condition today, Israel's hopelessness should not be lost on you if you're saved today. We once were hopeless. There's an incredible passage of Scripture. One of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Ephesians. And in it, the writer will spend an entire chapter, or almost two chapters, to tell you who you are in Christ and what your position is. He tells you the glorious... He, as a matter of fact, he does not give a single command in Ephesians until you get to chapter 2, verse 11. And here's the command for all of us. Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in this world. And then the writer says, here's what you need to do in light of that. You need to remember. You need to stop and you need to remember what it feels like to be hopeless. That's an imperative. Remember that God was once not your God. And apart from the gospel, he would still not be your God. And Paul reminds him to remember this. He was not for you at one time in your life. He was against you, according to the word of God. He was not your justifier at one point. He was your condemner. He was not for you eternal life. He was for you eternal judgment. Aren't you thankful for the fact that today you have life? God is for you, not against you. He's your justifier, not your enemy, not your, not your condemner. That's exactly what we need to think about. Aren't you thankful that God did not leave us this way in our hopeless condition? Now, this is an incredible text of Scripture. It's remarkable. It's unprecedented. It's bizarre. And what else would you think than hearing it given to Ezekiel, right? Because this is the guy we're dealing with. There's great, incredible imagery there's stark language. There's absolutely unforgettable narrative given to us in this passage. Here is Ezekiel. 
He is a prophet and a priest, and he's the son of one named Buzza that you learn in Ezekiel chapter 1. He's a reluctant prophet and priest, but all the more he is still a prophet and a priest. Where did he come from? He was in that deportation of Israelites that were taken into captivity in 597 B.C. He's one of the exiles, the hundreds of thousands of them. And he's also alone. He's with the king who also is in captivity if you read chapter 1. What kind of person sees visions like these? I mean, you start reading Ezekiel chapter 1 and this guy is introduced immediately to four living creatures. And they're standing on top of wheels, right? And they're spinning back and forth. And wherever they went, the wheels went. I mean, it's just, can you imagine seeing those kinds of things? And at the end of chapter 1, it tells us the reason why God did it. So that that Ezekiel would see the glory of God. The weightiness, the heaviness. In that moment of understanding how awesome and glorious God is. But Ezekiel sees breathtaking visions all the way through the teaching from the Lord. As a matter of fact, this guy would have been the nightmare of every pastor's search committee. Can you imagine having one like Ezekiel to talk to? This eccentric guy who sees all these visions, that would have been the nightmare of every pastor's search committee. As a matter of fact, Blake, I don't think this guy would have been given much time with the youth group, right? If you read some of these stories, you're like, "Woo! no way do I want this guy teaching the youth group. Uh, Dr. Block, who was my Old Testament professor in seminary, my doctoral work, he has written a magnificent commentary on Ezekiel. Unless you're willing for a long read, it's about yay thick, okay? It's a monster. But he talks about how that some liberal scholars have just said, Ezekiel was just psychotic. I mean, that's, that's what's wrong with the guy. He's just psychotic. Others have said, well, it's just a paranoid condition that many great spiritual leaders have. Right? Well, Block says, one cannot deny the uniqueness of Ezekiel's style of ministry, but to attribute this to anything but the hand of God upon his life would be able to miss the mark totally. Here's the deal. Here was a man totally possessed by Yahweh God. Here's a man who was sent by God to that particular place in that hour for the cause of God. So I think the passage describes for us the condition of our modern times, doesn't it? Not just dry. Very dry. Very many bones. It's postmodernism. It's progressive Christianity today. And the fact of the matter is it describes the condition of our land. It's also a time in our world of intellectual valley of dry bones. It's a cultural valley of dry bones. It's a spiritual valley of dry bones. Just like churches today. As a matter of fact, it's so dry they don't even rattle anymore. It's full of dry bones. Let's note three major divisions in our passage this morning. First, the vision. What's the vision? It's a valley full of dry bones. Very, very dry. Think about this. Israel is taken by the Lord and he puts him right in the middle of the death valley of bones. And all he sees is utter destruction, utter defeat, utter hopelessness, utter degradation. It's absolutely a place of death without hope. Would you not agree? This is, there's no picture that can more graphically picture for us the extent of the deadness of the nation of Israel and or the current situation. There's I mean, he's showing him death, total sterility, despair, utter destruction. Uh, and you can't 
ratchet this up any higher than a valley absolutely filled with bones. With no connecting parts. With not even being able to figure out how many people you got in the valley. And what bone goes with what bone. The fact of the matter is, it's utter hopelessness. Is, Ezekiel was a prophet and a... What was a priest told? You don't touch anything that is dead. Now here, verse 2 says that God sent him all around in, these, in this valley. Do you think about Ezekiel, can you think about Ezekiel trying to negotiate in that valley without be- becoming unclean? When it was absolutely full of dead man's bones. And he called him into this valley. It's a frightening vision. It's a vision of uncleanliness, of humiliation, and of death. And what is the result? Why are they in this position? Because they did not honor the Lord God. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 25 and 28, and then again, verse 45, and then all the way through chapter 29 of Deuteronomy, God says to them, if you serve me and obey me, I will bless you. But if you turn to serve other gods, then I will curse you. And that's exactly what's going on with the people of Israel. God doesn't lie, folks. And when He says something is going to happen, that's exactly what takes place. And here in this vision, lo, it has happened. God said it was going to happen if you do this, and this is exactly the case. You know, we live in a spiritual era of death, folks. We live in an era that is progressing rapidly more and more each day, so much so that people can't even remember the God they chose to disregard in the first place. We now live in a culture surviving on a small residue of Christian inheritance. A culture that no longer thinks of God as anything but a concept. And you know I'm speaking the truth this morning. That's the culture we live in. Spiritually, perhaps nothing catches the, encapsulates the modern spiritual mood as a, just a sigh. Whatever, right? Just, just look around and that's the, even in the church so often it's just, just whatever. Instead of truths that we consensually cherish together. A spirit of more rebellion now emerges as a substitute for meaning and truth. That's the world that we live in. You say, well, that's the world, preacher. What about the church? Some churches are faithful and healthy, and to God be the glory. They're being what, all, what God would have them to be. But I want to tell you, if you look across the horizon in our world, most of the churches in our world are more dead than alive. When you read Revelation, and you see the panoramic approach of those seven churches, and how... Throughout the millenniums and ages, there's residues of every one of those churches present. That's the panoramic understanding of Revelation 1 through 3. Not Revelations, there's only one. Right? Don't call it Revelations, there's one. It's the apocalypse, not plural. Okay? But the fact is, you see that in those teachings, that they're dead. And, of course, we're, we're looking at this vision of Ezekiel, and that's what we see in churches so often. Tom Rainer still says that 70 to 80% of churches are either have plateaued or they're declining. We are seeing across the world denominations that are in confusion and compromise. Every single day you pick up the paper, you see some other compromise that a major denomination has made. That's not holding to the truth of the Scripture anymore. We have congregations that lack spiritual energy, absent from biblical knowledge. And need I say... 
total lacking in theological conviction. Some say, for instance, like John Shelby Spong, that we ought to just change what Christianity is. And he wrote an article called, Why Christianity Must Change or Die. What he thinks is we ought to just change Christianity to something else. And I want to tell you, folks, that's exactly what the world wants us to do. Make it more pliable. Make it more attractive to the masses. Dumb down the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't say Jesus is the only way. Just say he may be one of the ways among many. I dare not do it. I will not do it. We're going to stand upon what the word of the Lord says. Some people say in a world of deconstruction, let's just deconstruct what Christianity is so that it's more marketable. Make it marketable. I recently read and heard about an effort in Great Britain to uh, help churches get back on their feet. And you know what they did? They adopted, they adopted the 750-page custom service manual published by McDonald's. They did, they did that for their employees because of the decline of mainline denominational churches. I don't think that's going to do it, folks. Being friendly and handing off, handing off the Big Mac and asking, would you like fries with your Happy Meal, may work at McDonald's. But it's not going to work for the church. We need to see the vision, what it really looks like to the Lord at times, even among our churches. Might I say, even among FBCO Ozark. We see this. We know it in, you know it in your own life, don't you? You ever sensed, oh, that vision has come home to me, I feel like a valley of dry bones. Well, that's the vision. Here's the question. Man, what a question. The God of eternity says to Ezekiel, Can these bones live? He brought the prophet there with a specific purpose, did he not? And he poses the prophet with this incredible question, Son of man, can these bones live? Talk about a final exam. Right? Don't you love final exams? And here it is. If Ezekiel was on a television game show, first they'd kick him off because he was a little weird. But if he was on a television game show, he would definitely need to phone a friend at this time. <laughs> if the God of all glory that he's been witnessing and all of the teachings that Ezekiel had listened to about the glory of God and all of a sudden God brings all of your theology down to one question. Isn't God awesome in doing that? Folks, I want to remind you that here in this valley, covered with bones, no signs of life, no vultures even circling. In Georgia, we'd call them buzzards. There's not even any buzzards circling. Carnage. No sign of life whatsoever. Did Ezekiel believe in resurrection? Now think about his answer. Can these bones live? Now, did he believe in resurrection? Well, did he have a precedent? Well, if you've read your Bible, you'll see in 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 4 that resurrection took place under Elijah and, Ezekiel, uh, Elijah and Elisha. Resurrection was not unheard of in the Old Testament, but this picture is quite different. On those occasions, the body had been dead only a short time. In this particular occasion, you're talking about total disintegration leaving just the bones which have been exposed so long that they're dried up and bleached by the sun. Can these bones live? 
Who knows what bone's connected to another bone? We sing that, right? Hip, bone, click, yeah. I mean, who knows in this valley? Now, there's a precedent before. Ezekiel knows this. But how would you respond? Would you respond with speculation? When you come to church here on Sunday morning, do you come in with speculation? Conjecture? Guess? Doubt? Well, why not? Of course not. How about just a sigh at truth? Who knows? Is it multiple choice, Lord? Give us multiple things to say. Let me tell you this morning that sometimes our entire theological system of belief can be reduced down to one question. Can these bones live? How about this? It can be reduced down to this question. Peter, singularly, who do men say that I am? Did Peter get it close to being right? Almost right? I'm telling you, Kurt, he knocks it out of the park. Who do men say that I am? Thou, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He didn't get it almost right. He knocked it out of the park. He got it dead right before the Lord. And then the Lord says, humanity can't give you that. Only the Father who is in heaven can reveal that to you. Did you know that you can't even acknowledge that He's the Son of God unless the Father acknowledges you first? Unless He reveals that to you, you can't spiritually know that He is the Son of God. How about Peter and John in the book of Acts? Y'all remember the book of Acts? We've been studying that, right? Y'all still awake? What happened in the book of Acts? Peter and John are put on trial. You're not supposed to obey. You're supposed to obey your leaders. And what does Peter and John say? For it's better for us to obey God than man. They got it right, did they not? Here is Ezekiel, and he answered in such a way that he affirmed the absolute holiness and sovereignty of Almighty God. And he did what any good theologian would do. He turns the question back to God. Do you see the humility in this question? Uh, in, in his answer? O oh Lord God, only you know. Ezekiel knew full well that God Almighty could speak. And there would be a standing army in just a second. He knew that. But the biggest question is, God, you are absolutely sovereign and holy and omnipotent. You have the power to perform anything you want to do. But here's the question. Do you desire to do it, God? Do you desire to do it? You have the ability to accomplish any and everything you want to do. And Ezekiel knows that God can raise those bones. But he understands... That it's up to God whether He does it or not. You line up with the sovereignty of God and say to Him, Lord, You can do anything. We see a postmodern age of spiritual death, of cultural dissipation, of church confusion, and the Lord would ask us this question, Can these bones live? Can they? How will we answer the question? I mean, you're here this morning. If you don't believe that these bones can live, if you don't believe that Jesus has resurrection power, then why are we here? This is not a spectator sport. It's not a sporting event. It's not a spectacle. We're here to worship the King who brings life out of death. That's a good thing, right? It is. Well, we believe that God can give dry bones life, don't we? Can He? Yes. Is there a precedent? Well, I think we see it in the text of Scripture. Here's a sermon real quickly. Is there hope in a valley of despair and death? So we have the vision. And, of course, we have the question, and now the sermon. 
So what's the plan in the valley of death? Let's say our church is in spiritual decline and we're not moving forward in spiritual growth or individually we sense this. What is the answer in the valley of death? Is it a Big Mac and a Happy Meal? What is the answer? There's a solution to the situation. And the Lord tells Ezekiel to preach to dead bones. Isn't that awesome? Folks, this is incredible that God would not say, here's one thing you can do, help remedies and everything else. What is the only thing you can do in the middle of a valley of of dry bones with no spiritual life or aptitude or anything? The only thing you can do is preach, thus saith the Lord. And God will work. Ezekiel should not have been caught off guard. Why? God told him to preach to mountains. You've read those? He tells him to preach to forests. And he tells them to preach to people who are going to act like brick walls. You didn't watch my eyes, did you? Right? I mean, I love chapter 2. Listen, if I can find my verse. I, I jotted it down earlier. Yes. Okay, let me see where I put this. I need to read this one. Yeah, 2-5. Listen to this. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. (laughs) That's good stuff. God says to Ezekiel, you tell them what I'm telling you to tell them, and if they refuse, they refuse. If they hear, they hear. But here's one thing they will know for sure. God sent them a prophet. And He gave the word to them. To my shame, if God were to say to me, preach the sermon, I'd be like, Lord, there's a lot of things we can do in this valley of dry bones, but you want me to preach? I mean, come on, Lord. How often we miss out on what God would have for us because we don't obey. There are some things God tells you sometimes to do that seem to be absurd to this world, but you better do it if God tells you to do it, right? If the Word of God says walk around these walls six times and on the seventh time go around and blow a trumpet, you better blow it, right? We do it God's way. Here's the miracle. Life happens here through how? The Word and the Spirit. No man is ever saved apart from the Word and the Spirit. And here God gives the Word. Even before Ezekiel finishes finishes his sermon, he hears some noise. (laughs) Wouldn't this be awesome? To be sitting there and all of a sudden you hear a little rattling. I mean, before he even finishes his sermon. By the way, David, I love the light you put up here, my brother. Y'all have y'all seen my light up here? I told David, I said, David, I just can't see. And he said, you're old. I said, you're right. <laughs> but I got this nifty little light that's connected right here, pointed down. It's, it's LED, all this stuff, man. It's, I, I'm, it's awesome. It's a miracle, right? <laughs> but here, there's rattling going on. There's a, a man in a valley with an open Bible. A man in a valley, total death, and he's holding nothing but a scroll. Nothing but the Word of the Lord. Why why is the Word necessary? Well, David stole my thunder, Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is living, powerful. But that's not all. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1.23 that the Word of God gives life. Do you understand, folks? There's no life apart from the seed. And the Word of God is the seed that gives the life. Faith cometh by 
hearing and hearing by the word. Who expects life out of death? But look at the text. Verse 6 is the reverse of decomposition. There's the sign of life. Just imagine there's rattling and bone going back to bone. There's something happening. There was a sign of life, but no life. But the very sign is a gift of God, right? There's also the gift of life. All that's needed is for God to breathe. Speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It speaks of how God made Adam and Eve physically. The second part of resurrection, not just the Word, but the Spirit of God. We are born because God forms us. We're born again because the Spirit of God indwells us. That's what takes, takes, takes place here. So we have the sermon, the miracle, life, and then we have the promise. What did God tell Ezekiel? If you speak the word, then I'm going to cause breath through my word to come on these dry bones. And that's exactly what God did. 37.5. He put tendons on the bones. Make flesh grow over the skin. Ezekiel's role was to be faithful to God and preach the word. That was his role. Who are the results up to? God. Jesus said, I'll build my church. I'm so glad he said that because it takes me off the hook. Right? Here, Ezekiel's told to preach the word. God gives the results. Same for us. Our responsibility is proclamation. Not just standing in the pulpit. But your responsibility is proclamation to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. You proclaim it and God will take care of the results. Right? That's what we're told to do. And God is still bringing life out of death through the preaching of his word. And here's the application. God interpreted the vision for Ezekiel, did he not? The bones which you see with zero possibility of ever knowing life again reveal how impotent Israel was and also how they felt about their exile. It was their sin that put them in the exile to begin with. But here they are in their understanding. They're hopeless. They've been cut off from the... They've, they've, they've been given the covenant curses and they actually feel cut off. All hope is gone. And this was for a specific moment in Israel's history. And amidst all the background of their failure, think about your own life. Amidst the backdrop of all the failure, God gives a promise of grace and mercy. That's awesome, isn't it? Even in the midst of our sin, God gives mercy and a promise. It brings together both restoration and glorious resurrection. It was God's response to their statement that all is lost and hopeless and we've been cut off. The question, can these bones live, was designed to show how impotent Israel was during its exile. But God made a marvelous promise. If you'll read Ezekiel 33, chapter 33 through chapter 36, you'll see the promise. But it's all, it all comes to this point. Can these bones live? Can a dead and impotent nation in exile under the control of a godless regime be resurrected and become a living, thriving kingdom once again? And the answer to that question is, if that nation will turn to the Lord, it can. That's true for the United States of America. Only God can produce life physically and spiritually. Nothing but a miracle will resurrect the dead. And our sovereign God, according to this text, reminds us that I'm going to open your graves and I'm going to bring you up. Did y'all see that at the end? God makes a promise, folks. His track record is impeccable. I can raise, I can open your graves. 
What an awesome message of encouragement this was. If the prophet remained faithful to his call to proclaim, thus saith the Lord, the ultimate consequence would be a life-transforming experience that would result in a national resurrection. That's amazing. Now, America's not Israel, folks. But the fact of the matter is, God came through with His promise, right? And just think about how God has come through with the promise of His Son that we reap the benefits of. There's not a finer illustration in the Word of God about the power of the preached Word to accomplish God's purpose. It's got, a, it's got the power, the preaching of the Word, to move men's hearts from the trespasses and sins and trusting Jesus only for their salvation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that God uses the foolishness of preaching, right? To save souls. The Spirit's power. Do y'all believe in the Holy Spirit of God? He's not a phantom. He's not an it. It's a he. He's the blessed third person of the Trinity. He's God. And what an awesome understanding that the Spirit empowered these dead, dry bones and gave them life and animation. We need God to do that at our church. We need God to do that in our own spirits. Here we have bones that were resurrected, but with a purpose. Don't miss that. They're raised up as, a, they're raised up as an army. And they're on their feet to do God's work. Do you all know we have work to do? God did not regenerate you for you to sit on your blessed assurance. God regenerated you to stand on your feet as a giant army, hold up, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Serve a living God in His church. He raised you up not just to sit idly through high school and middle school, go with the crowds, to go through the college days and just go with the flow. He raised you up as an army to serve His purpose. He regenerated your heart, put you on your feet. So I do the only thing I know what to do in a church situation or in life. And that's preach the Word. What do you do when you've got a... By the way, if Ezekiel would have been the nightmare of any pulpit committee, the nightmare of any pastor is to stand in the valley of dry bones and preach. Right? I'm not saying you're that way. Only God knows that. But what I would tell you is this. When I start thinking about what God can do with a church and my clever strategies... I'm reminded quickly that I can't do it. I'm reminded that the only thing I must do is the thing God has called me to do. And that's to preach the Word. Preach what the Bible has to say to us. And God will do whatever He sees fit for His glory. He may raise some dead bones and put them back together. He may not. But God is sovereign. So, let's move from some rattling to a great standing army this morning. Rattling is the first sign of life. It's a great time to be alive in the United States of America. Can these bones live? It's the same thing God will say to us in 2018 in the month of September. And our response should be, Oh Lord God, you know. Father, thank you for the blessing of your word. God, I thank you for how you've spoken to my heart this week, Lord, when you wonder, Lord, uh, oh Lord, we, we lose hope at times. In our own hearts, we become stagnant. We miss the mark. We sin against you. 
Lord, we need regular seasons of commitment. Father, in my heart, I feel like the altar, even if people don't come down to an altar, we ought to all be at the altar of your holiness today. And we ought to say, oh God, what are we doing? When's the last time I sensed the weight of God's glory? When's the last time I thought that worship was about Christ and not me? Lord, God, help us. God, would you breathe life into dead bones? Lord, would you let your glory be known among your people? God, that's the goal, and you're going to do it. That you and you alone will receive glory. And everything you do on the face of this earth is designed to rebound to your glory. Even our salvation. Even our individual salvations are designed to bring you glory. God, I would ask you to save a soul this morning, if it's your will. God, only you know. You've got the power to change anybody in this church. God, only you know if you'll do it. You've got the power to raise up a standing army of people in this church who are going to be more focused on the glory of Jesus and the nations than we are our own pettiness. God, you've got the glory to do it, and you deserve it. Father, may you work in our invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.